Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, presented by Nerdy Show. In this show, we go behind the scenes of the acclaimed comic series for an issue-by-issue commentary. I'm your host, Cap, and with me are the creators of Atomic Robo. Hey, I'm Brian Clevenger. I do the words. Hey, Scott Wagner. I draw the art. And today, draw the art. You, draw, you draw the art. <laughs> I draw the arts. All the arts. <laughs> today, we're going to talk about Atomic Robo, the free comic book day issue for 2013. So uh, this is our first Saturday release of Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts. That's weird, but here we are. May the 4th be with you. Don't do that. I know. <laughs> it sounds like a good idea in my head, and then when the words come out, I just want to punch myself pretty hard. <laughs> For the first time since Terror Bird, you guys are getting back to the uh, fit of Scott draws first and Brian puts in words afterwards, but... Uh, See, the way I figure it, it, Scott doesn't have enough on his shoulders as it is. I have lots of free time. He should come up with a plot, too. <laughs> it this- happened first on this... Then that happened later on the thing that came out before this. Is the thing that came out before this the um, Two-Fisted Tales, Along Came a Tarantula, the uh, Comicsology yes. exclusive? Okay. It is indeed. Yeah. Which is also something that we haven't formally, as a group, talked about on the show. Because uh, last time I talked to you guys, you weren't allowed to talk about that at all. Oh yeah, that was pre-Emerald City, wasn't it? It was. Mm-hmm. I did record a blurb to tell people about it in the previous episode. But if you're hearing right. this for the first time... There's an exclusive Atomic Robo digital short up at Comixology. It costs like no money. Go get it. Dude, it costs 99 cents. That's like no money. It's like no money. Close to like no money, yes. It's not as free as this thing that costs money to produce that you get for free at Free Comic Book Day. It's weird. The uh, economics of it baffle me. You know what? Since we haven't talked about it, we're also going to be discussing uh, Atomic Robo Two-Fisted Tales Along Came a Tarantula in this... What? I know. Crazy twofers. I didn't agree to that. Too bad. I'm going to sit in silence. Uh, no? (laughs) Let's talk about Free Comic Book Day. Figuring out what to do with 12 pages was, I had a really hard time with. Brian was busy with uh, some work he was, I think you were doing work with uh, Fred, right? Yeah, I think it was uh, juggling the RPG and... Like gearing up for real science adventures, or maybe I was in the middle well, of it. The the, time the, that's goofy. There's another stuff that you're writing for him that's not yeah. related to Robo at all. That's secret stuff. No, it was in part of their uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Doing um, a, a little a short novel for uh, Spirit of the Century. Okay. Evil Hat. Uh, they're you know our publisher for the RPG. So, what is this other Brian Clevenger thing that people can look forward to? Uh, it's a short novel uh, about Benjamin Who. He's one of the spirits of the century. 
and it's pulp adventure in, in the 20s and it's a lot of cool stuff it's a book a little novel cool when's that coming out i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you're not done with it are you no so brian we busy at that time so the ball was just kind of bounced to me and i was racking my brain until i actually started talking to brian i think it was and i had like a couple of little visuals and couldn't figure out how to string them together he's really good as a soundboard for stuff like that because basically just through panicking at him i was then able to plot out free comic book day when going into the <laughs> yeah, conversation I, with him i had no ideas as so i, I recall okay. uh scott he, he iams me with this paragraph of okay oh, i got this and i wanted to do this though and so as i'm composing a thoughtful reply he's like okay i already figured it out <laughs> pretty oh. much he's good at uh just pretending to listen and then i can figure things out pretty much so we're going to do something a little different on this episode of atomic robo nuts and bolts Way back in 2012, Brian, Scott, and I got together and had a look at this issue before it had any words on it, just pencils. Not a word had been written. So going back a little deeper than we're usually able to go on Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, we're going to first examine this issue in some of its earliest stages. This is going way back in time. This is Cap, Scott, and Brian from early December 2012, and what we've got in front of us Before right... Before the apocalypse. Right. <laughs> pre-apocalypse. Atomic wait, wait, Robo. wait, wait, wait. Are people going to have electricity anymore to listen no, to this? No, but like when aliens visit, oh. they might find this file. Okay. Like an Easter egg. I gotcha. Right. Yeah. Eventually, they'll dig into our pop culture so much so that this will become relevant again. <laughs> Basically, this will be the only thing that survives. They will assume that the entire 20th and 21st century was dedicated to the worship of Atomic Robo. Mm. <laughs> so the way this, this whole thing's worked is Scott has drawn this issue. And Brian, you've had zero input whatsoever so far? I mentioned there should be a robot. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that happened, yeah. So what we've got in front of us are black and white final pages and some thumbnails and no dialogue, no script, just things happening. Uh, yes. But for you... The listener, what you've got is you've got a full color funny book with all kinds of words in it. So we're going to sort of explore this process and we'll, we'll, you've now time traveled to before this thing made any kind of sense, aside from whatever Scott's got in his brain, which we will extract. Oh, yeah. There was a sort of a premise when we started. We wanted we... Robo to not fight Dr. Dinosaur. Please excuse the lack of Dr. Dinosaur. I think you, you all have more than enough now. Hope yeah, you're happy. Or they will, yes. So yeah, we just wanted Robo to beat up on a robot, or more accurately, get beat up by a robot. <laughs> can't remember what the chain of events was that led to Voxbot exactly, or the concept of a big robot. I know it's relevant to what is actually going to be happening in oh, Volume yeah. 9. Volume 8. Right? <laughs> Correct? I went too far into the future there. Gotta stop doing that. Darla back time travel makes you sterile man be careful <laughs> yeah so this story is actually going to tie into events in volume eight so we we knew that going into it we were talking about doing another something along the lines of another yonkers devil sort of thing just because it was fun yeah, I really enjoyed how Robo was just kind of powerless. Yeah, we need to bring Yonkers Devil back sometimes. In my he's head... Oh my god, he's our ultimate comics version of the Hulk. <laughs> oh, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. In my head now, at the end of this story, like, Boxbot and Yonkers Devil are like BF <laughs> BFFs, and they're like hanging out, having like ice cream sodas in an old soda shoppy. One big one with two straws. I want that now. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Robo's sneaking around. He's looking like he's, I don't know, gonna rob a bank or something. Well, he has to sneak into town. So there's two stories. This ties into or kind of happened in tandem with the short story that we 
from our point of view are going to do and from your point of view have already done with Comixology, which at this point does not have a title. But the premise of that one was to use a bunch of their new features for their digital reader. And the best way to highlight those interesting visual features was to have a robo brawl with something. And so it was a toss up between originally it was going to be Boxbot here. But then Brian has this cast of strange characters that I refuse to put in the comic book. Um, but since he allows me to put my characters into the comic book, it's only fair, right? I've been so, crying, basically, yeah. and Scott feels bad. Right, pretty much. It's the, the constant weeping. I can't take it. <laughs> so Brian has a couple of, what, what would the right word be, homages to certain superhero comic book characters uh, yeah. in the Robo-verse. And uh, one of them in particular is Doc Ock. And so I designed this woman with this power armor suit sort of thing to sort, sort of, of be... half harness, half power suit, half yeah. extension... It's really cool. So this woman was one of the characters uh, based on Doc Ock, roughly. The suit was supposed to be a uh, like a rescue suit. And the, Brian, tell, tell him about the concept behind these. Yeah, this design is crazy, guys. It's these the- jilted superheroes. Basically, there are, in Robo's world, and in the more modern day, there are a couple people who feel cheated by Robo or society in general and have sort of focused their uh, twisted malcontentedness on Robo because they've watched too many you know, movies or, or whatever. They've taken on these sort of supervillain personas, and uh, this is one of them. Yeah, but you, you left out the great part, which is that Robo actually has, in one way or another, screwed all these people over, but he's completely well, yeah, unaware Robo, of it. Yeah. Just in the day-to-day course of Robo's life, you know, he approves this one project, maybe disapproves another one, and the disapproval totally derails the, the scientist's life, and they become focused and crazy and just don't deal with it in a healthy way. And then they echo-chamber themselves into uh, violent psychopaths. How does the comicsology thing in the, in the Doc Ock lady, how do they fit into the free comic book day story here? Right. So they were two competing stories for basically the same length and premise. And basically, they were just, you know, they need to be short standalone. Right. So so one could have been the comicsology thing. One could have been the free comic book day thing. Didn't really matter. Yeah, it really didn't matter. There was a reason for swapping them, but I don't remember what that is now. I think it was just with the Doc Ock lady with her harness suit thing here. It's going to be possible to really exploit a lot of the interesting yeah, it, it, there's just more interesting things to do with it. That's going to really play in well to the new features on the, the Comixology reader, we hope. And then the box bot kind of ties into some stuff that is happening in Volume 8 anyway. So since they're coming out at Free Comic Book Day and Volume 8 are happening, it made more sense to link those two stories together. So that's how we got here. So we had this basic premise that there's an out-of-control robot and Robo has to go stop it. Because who are you going to call? Because Exactly. That was kind of where the, the story idea began and ended. <laughs> and then Brian just kind of said, hey, I go do something, which I which think or, I which, like. Yeah, ordinarily. I mean, given what I knew of you after Volume 7 specifically, I thought that was like giving you free ice cream in a playground and some heroin. <laughs> yeah, Is that how you pick up girls, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> Got uh, handcuffed to a radiator as we speak, actually, eating ice cream. And heroin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to... Oh, I want to do something with Boston Dynamics. They're the guys who created the big dog robot. Have you ever seen that thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super creepy and gross. And then they also make Big Horse. I'm not joking. I haven't seen that one. But oh, I, you I, should, because it's like it's Big Dog with a fat ass, basically. Beautiful. Um, it's the size of a pickup truck. It's an, it's enormous. And so BoxBot is their latest project, because basically DARPA keeps telling them that, whoa, these robots are great, but whoa, they're creepy as hell. We don't like that. So Robo gets called in. And there's this kind of fake town, which I guess we'll put somewhere in western Massachusetts, since these guys are out of Boston. So is this, this is official? You, you said, hey, guys, I want to do this, and it's going to have your name on it. No, no. 
no, oh, no, no. Just the idea. Yeah, they're just, okay. you know, they do cool real-life robot stuff, so we decided to tack their name on. Okay. It's a, a fake town where the military and robotics people test stuff. Um, you know, like, like an Aberdeen Proving Ground sort of mm-hmm. thing. And these guys have set up a remote observation area in this, in the, I guess, the town hall and have lost control of the robot. So they're trapped in the building. Robo's called in. So he has to sneak through the town without being noticed by the box bot. And he was called specifically because he's carrying the, the latest version of the, the classic uh, Tesla Dyne, Dr. Tesla lightning gun, which is basically an EMP pulse rifle, hopefully to disable the, the millions of dollar robot without damaging it anyway. And you told me that one of the few notes that Brian gave you was about page two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These nerds had to be the science nerds from The Simpsons. I did not know what we were talking about until he sent me the link. And he's like, as long as these three guys are in the story, I don't care what happens. Brian Clevenger, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> that was He's a man of few needs. The only prerequisite. No one else is allowed to write this book, by the way. But <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Robo shows up with the gun. So he's given the sales pitch. And uh, just as he's, he's explaining how easy this is going to be and how awesome the EMP rifle is in Bust's box bot who I really think needs to speak in, like, single sentences, possibly yeah. monosyllabic words. Like, as you know, simple just, as that can possibly go. Yeah, like, as he busts in there, like, you know, knock, knock, door, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, now die. Like, and yeah. he's just kind of, he's gone a little psychotic. So Robo's sizing him up there on page three and is basically like, well, you know, in panel three and four, it's kind of like, ah, oh, this is going to be no problem. He made go it easy. The shoot and Mr. Nerd is like, oh, no, I don't think. And then before he can finish his uh, sentence, out Robo goes from the, the second story window. What would you be adding to this so far, Brian? You haven't written a word of this yet. Let's take advantage of it. What's he going to say? Ow. <laughs> God, I well, smell another Eisner nomination. Right, right. Well, I'm thinking page one, where it's Robo sneaking through town. And in my head, I could only think of, um, have you guys seen The Emperor's New Groove? I know it's kind of an older yeah. anime movie. Sure There's has. That- Once a while ago. There's the bit where Kronk has the llama emperor and he's trying to get him out of town and he's doing his own theme music as he sneaks around the town. Right. <laughs> okay, so that was what I had in mind with Robo sneaking through the town here on page one. It is a uh, miracle that anyone reads this comic. <laughs> but perfect uh, opportunity, I think, on page one here to start the exposition. Yeah, the exposition. So we can, yeah. we can have narrative bubbles where yeah. Robo is having the conversation with the lead nerd. Uh, and then in page two, panel one, it's like, oh, thank you so much for coming, blah, 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 blah. You're familiar with our big dog and big horse. And then Robo is just, yes, they're extremely creepy. I don't like them at all. And they're like, yes, that's why we're building this thing now, because it's cute and adorable. Um, and only slightly psychotic. Right. One hitch. On page two there, panel one, two, three, four. If I can have in panel four, that guy talking about Minecraft. So then panel five, that look on Robo's face is his response. <laughs> like no, no dialogue? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is not an accurate representation of the nerdy show minecraft community i'd like to add those no, guys are cool robo, does, robo that's his opinion of video games right there that look <laughs> he's a curmudgeon page three we've got kool-aid man intro Robo's oh, yeah! ejected. <laughs> perfect free comic book day seems to be the place for kool-aid man intro because this panel is very similar to future source rex's intro actually all future are- source rex did was smash through doors <laughs> and walls uh, i'm afraid we're not topping future source rex here with this one but i mean how can <laughs> Top Future Source Rex. I don't think Dr. Dinosaur can top Future Source Rex. So yeah, page four, Robo gets punched out into the street. There's like a park in the middle of the town, like a town square sort of thing. And I would like to point out that I drew an excellent horse. So you did, and I don't know if the 
listeners are going to be able to see any of this, but every time I see your lines, especially the cityscapes, I'm always impressed with the, you know, how sharp the perspective is and how clean everything is. Thanks. You know? Sometimes I fake it. On this one, there's too much happening to fake yeah. it, but I do it in blue lines so that I can mm. later on. So there is a mess in reality, but it looks clean on here. Uh, the only thing I did wrong there was I put the mailbox on the grass and like it was after the fact. And I was like, oh, mailboxes don't go on the grass. Oh, well, it's not a real town anyway. Who cares? <laughs> hey, they, they screwed up, not you. Right. Not my problem. <laughs> As you can see on these black and whites, there's little notes everywhere on that panel for Nick. Anytime the panels start getting messy with stuff happening, yeah. I start putting color notes everywhere. Sleeve ripped off, Robo's gun. Notes like these, dear grass, listeners. Grass, door. Yeah. Robot. Because it's not obvious what that stuff is unless you are in my head. So, yeah. And originally, Robo was going to get punched into the gas station. And it was going to be a two-punch, literally a two-punch joke where I think I was going to have him originally throw the car at BoxBot. But then I realized that the nerds were still in the room with BoxBot. <laughs> and so Robo's thing Acceptable here is... Acceptable losses. <laughs> yeah, collateral damage. <laughs> Robo's objective here is to keep BoxBot's attention because he's got to protect these, these science guys. So Robo comes running back across the street here. Gets punched again. Part of the, the, the gist of this story was that in the 21st century here, Robo has kind of reached his design limit, at least for the time being. He is no longer the fastest, strongest thing out there. And this is going to come into play later on in the main series, but this was just a fun chance to play around with that, where Robo can't beat the hell out of the thing that he's up against for the first This is, pretty this much is basically our version of Death of Superman. <laughs> this, <laughs> yes. this free comic book day issue here? Yeah. Wow, okay. Now, yeah. Can we steal some lines from that? <laughs> I'll okay. do what I can. Can you replicate that awkward panel where all the anatomy of Superman and Doomsday are completely wrong, but they're punching each other to the death, and it's, like, super important, but everything's broken about the art? Can you do that? You know, that was actually the first Superman comic I ever read. Mm. Me too. Not to take out a tangent here, but I was a high school intern at Marvel Comics at the time. Wow. And I was already very disappointed because all the artists who I loved had left Marvel right before I got there to go form Image. And there was a kind of a rocky period there while they figured out who could take over all these X-Books. And on a whim, because this, the death of Superman was the thing that year, I picked it up. I think I found an office copy or something like that because there was some exchanging back and forth. And wow, what a load of crap that was. That was like the worst comic book I've ever seen in my life. There's a million these, guys I don't know. Yeah, drawing really badly and woodenly and uninterestingly. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know. Impressive how bad it is, really. If you haven't checked it out, at the just time, don't. It's terrible. And it was a big media thing at the time. Like, it was in the news. It was like, it was bigger than when Captain America died. No, it was the yeah. first time that the comic books had ever made news outside of scandals. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's interesting because it happened at a time before there was an internet to speak of. So the Captain America thing moved around and ended up on the Colbert Report and all that jazz. And it largely because of the massive internet community that revolves around this stuff now. And this was just like old school media found out and paying attention and making a big deal of it so yeah so robo is uh, no longer top dog in the uh physical world so King badass of robot mountain right <laughs> he, he is no longer guaranteed to survive the robot uprising you love um, drawing that horse man here it is again on page six the action just keeps happening right there so he's all you know smart assy robo here and he's like ah i got the gun <laughs> this is how i write dialogue for robo <laughs> that is yeah. not a joke that's not a joke at all and then nothing happens with the click and then so panel one disappointed frustrated sad robo on the next <laughs> definitely pa sad panel two robo is like you see his, his the toes of his shoes are kind of cocked in a little bit and he's just like the dumb kid who just got caught being dumb <laughs> and he kind of like glances over to the side and sees the power cable to the battery pack is severed panel three 
John Arbuckle, Garfield, I Hate Mondays joke right here. <laughs> so, I like that hit. I like that I like hit that a lot. we only see Robo's feet. <laughs> They're kind of the most fun Robo feet. I, 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 I always got him in combat boots, but I was like, ah, this time he's wearing sneakers. And just it, I like his little ball socket ankle. And yeah, I like that panel a lot. <laughs> Robo's dainty little ankles and wrists. I love, me laugh. I love him. <laughs> well, if you notice, like in panel one and panel two there, his hands have been getting smaller also, yeah. which I'm just really enjoying. <laughs> These little stupid <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It looks right, though. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Like, they don't all... look too small. They clearly are, but it, it looks right. You know, well, yeah, I guess that's what just why it's evolved this way in the first place, because for some reason it does. Yeah, someone always telling me the other day, like, you know, big hands and big feet in comic book characters and, and cartooning, even if it is your, your quote-unquote style, it really kind of shows a sort of immaturity to your work, and that as things get smaller and more dainty and complex like that, it's actually just kind of a, a natural sign of progression, which I choose to accept since I'm drawing like that now. I've been consciously trying to make the feet and hands smaller, and the figures just look more interesting to me because of that. So yeah, and then the last three panels on this page I just thought were a lot of fun with the classic uh, cartoon visual effects coming in from the side of the panel to indicate some sort of giant crash and commotion off panel then robo skips down the street and then more commotion from the other side of the panel it's kind of like a throwback to the yonkers devil panel where uh, robo runs across the screen the yonkers devil runs across the screen and it's a quiet screen and then the last panel is the yonkers devil trotting back proudly with robo in his mouth mm-hmm. robo uh, will definitely be cursing in all three of those panels <laughs> oh yes <laughs> next page so i moved the action down the street so i didn't have to draw the horse anymore <laughs> <laughs> well and to take us towards the diner on purpose a big part of scott's uh, philosophy of drawing stuff is to go through these motions to get rid of the thing he doesn't want to draw anymore this but was it- a major feature of his work on uh, avengers earth's mightiest heroes and thor's helmet oh yeah no i hate thor's helmet i think Thor in general is just kind of lame, and his helmet in particular I find extra lame. Also, those weird tiger stripe hot pants he wears, but whatever. But when I did that Avengers thing, every fight that happened in each issue, as quickly as I could, I made sure that Thor got punched really hard and that his helmet came flying off, and then he would be bareheaded for the rest of the issue. (laughs) (laughs) Until the very last panel of the very last issue, where he puts it back on for like the big cheesy group picture G.I. Joe PSA moment. Yeah, so Robo is not having a good day here. He's, uh... I was thinking somewhere in here, some line about... I'm always trying to get Brian to write lines about Robo feeling like he's going to throw up. But Robo doesn't throw up because he has a stomach. But I think at this point, after having been punched several times very hard and being thrown down the street, he should be sort of conceptually thinking that he understands what it's like to be nauseous at this point. Brian, I want to do a story uh, about the Hyperion robots from Borderlands 2 because they're kind of the best villains. Well, technically... What they were, were the similar to but legally distinct from Korean robots. Right. Right, right. But then then the designs I was coming up with were unsatisfactory. I I just wasn't happy with them. They were either too close to be legally distinguishable or... (laughs) They were very close. Too awkward to draw or just... I just didn't like them. So I scratched the whole idea and then went with the idea of what would the small portable refrigerator that I had in college that I kept beer in look like if it was a robot. And then, bam, here we are. With the box spot. Comics magic. Comics magic right there. He's a, he's a, <laughs> the mini kegerator now is on. <laughs> Can it transform into a box? A box that turns into a box. That's a Dude, good yes, it does. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, for shipping and storage. I'm going to earn uh, that writer's credit. Cap, you've already <laughs> devoted more to this issue than I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
the last half of seven here, uh, this is the where I run into trouble with storytelling. Like how to end it? <laughs> how to end it? Yeah, no, 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 no. But how to how to construct dialogue on a page? Like I can see in my head the emotions and the tone of each frame, but I can't figure out how to put dialogue in there to make it not boring. So Robo whips out his his little Rhino anti-material pistol, which we all remember from Volume Six, which is replaces his beloved Webley, and he opens up on the box bot, um, scoring some good hits and. He's kind of like a little cocky at this point. Like, ha, I know you felt that sucker. And then out of nowhere, he gets his Wayne Gretzky check. (laughs) Shoulder check from the box bot, who's still charging at him. I think he should be smug. And then whatever he's saying should trail into the last panel, be cut off and like, you know, dot, dot, dotted and have the balloon trailing off panel to the right uh I well i will i will put that instruction in but good luck having jeff actually go through with it <laughs> no i think it will add to the visual humor of the movie. oh i agree completely but and you know how is, he how he is about i do i do and and then page eight this is where you started getting worried when i asked you via i am if it would be funny if a robot almost got smashed in the nuts with a giant sign because robots don't so have in two pages uh robo has to be nauseous which he can't be and have groin <laughs> horror, which he doesn't have. <laughs> maybe he has sympathy groin horror. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or well, maybe, you know, he just doesn't want to be crushed. Maybe you know? he installed something there just so he'd have groin horror. It's not really important to systems. All it's just there. All I want to say is Pers- thank God Mike is not actually here for this. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met anyone more obsessed with Robo's groin. <laughs> that includes Lindsay. <laughs> So, potential groin mangling, <laughs> robo-startled, and then we have the Jurassic Park Tyrannosaurus Rex enters the screen, stage left in panel four. Uh, it is a great at, stomp right there. <laughs> at which point, Robo realizes he's sitting next to a 1958 Buick Roadmaster. Why it says Roadmaster 75 on it, I don't know. That's just what they said on the side of the things. I, I can't... Mm. <laughs> didn't make any sense to me either but at which point again we have a call back this this is all callbacks in this one i think because it's like here's robo he's getting his ass kicked and here he is presented with a buick and you know as we established in the first volume the preferred weapon of choice against stupid oversized monsters has always been buicks which is an awesome line from issue two of volume one where he just smashes that ant with it so robo thinks he's finally got the upper hand and he's going to buick the hell out of box bot and, and it looks like he's going to the glorious one. page nine with so much going on it just <laughs> wows the eyes with the line work man you know thank you, that <laughs> you is know, a really good page. i was working on this page well all these pages and a couple of people complained about volume seven which is probably in the way way past now for people but saying how like it lacked impact or they didn't like the way I was simplifying. I think they were referring to the way I've been simplifying characters' faces and whatnot. But And there is a lot of open space in Volume 7 because it's ocean and sky. But, eh, whatever. I was kind of thumbing my nose at them with all the <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you some detail. Yeah. going on here. And then I was forced, even on panels where I didn't want to, I'd put buildings and things in the backgrounds just because I knew the guys from Major Spoilers are always like, they don't read the comics, they don't look at my art, they simply overanalyze my backgrounds and whether or not i put anything into them they're keeping it honest they keep me honest yeah now in theory in my head this made perfect sense robo swings the car box bot kind of like nope. pops him once the face and takes the car away from him mid-swing at which point we realize that box bot can rotate 360 degrees at the waist and brings the car back around to this massive overhand slam on robo and there should definitely be nick's gonna be happy because nick loves chroming things when he oh, colors man. And I put some little, like, you know, like, sunspot glinty things in the last panel up on the bumper there. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see, yeah. So they'll just be, like, godlike coming down, and yeah. Then physically figuring out where everyone had to be in order to show that he took the car away from Robo and was doing all the stuff was 
kind of a nightmare. Also realizing that I had... Having, <laughs> just having Robo go doof in panel two, it'll oh, yeah. draw attention to the fact that he's getting punched. Color yeah. will help uh, sharpen it out, too, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not too worried about that. I think it reads okay. And this is also the panel where I realized that I had not really put any thought whatsoever into what Boxbot looks like from behind. So that all looks like completely plausible machinery happening there, That right? looks exactly like a modern-day Transformer, not the movies, but the comics. Oh, uh, yeah. I have not been looking at Alex's uh, work for a while. I should. Read you don't even it. know that guy's name. No, I don't know who Alex Milne is. I've never read Transformers More Than Meets the Eye, the greatest Transformer book being made at this time. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been told. So I've been told. <laughs> Seriously, a little plug there for more than MCI. What a good book! It is such an enjoyable read. The artwork is gorgeous. I can't, in good conscience, recommend any other Transformers stuff that's happening at the moment. But that that book is killer. I really, really enjoy it. For accuracy's sake, I, Robo's wearing a Tesla badge on his bulletproof vest. I noticed that. Well yeah, done. Well, technically, it's his last name, but yeah. yeah. That was how I interpreted it. Well, usually it just says Robo, but then I realized no one else puts, you know, no one says Bob on their name. On their, <laughs> name Sally. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing's winding up for this colossal smashing Robo with the Buick, at which point we cut to Jenkins, miles out of town, who kind of maintaining the, the perimeter. I brought back the Tesla wagon for volume six because it's just fun to draw the Robo version of the Ecto-1. Then I realized, I haven't drawn Jenkins in years. I don't even remember what it looks like. <laughs> Who is he? I think if you guys are looking at the the big scans of this, like there's doodles. Uh, yeah, face doodles at the bottom. So you can see down the bottom of, of, uh, of the previous page real quickly, page nine, the doodles, me trying to work stuff out. And there's some numbers and stuff in there. And that is telling me wh- which panel this doodle is going to go in. <laughs> even though a lot of it doesn't make sense, but whatever. Same thing's happening here on page 10, uh, helping me sort of track things i used to draw like like on the left there's a page and there's panels and stuff and i would draw them into the actual panels but i find doing the doodles on the side and just saying oh cut this so it's panel one and cut that so it's panel two works better and you can see me trying to remember what jenkins face looks like down there <laughs> so, so robo's got got the eat it joe sign yes so jenkins is, so jenkins is reading a book of sonnets because it's what he does and then off in the distance just this plume of smoke and fire erupts through the trees and the, those are little buildings out there in the distance so there's, there's the town and this big explosion happens and close on Jenkins, you know, being Jenkins. Then Boxbot thinks he's victorious. He flips the car over, assuming that he has crushed Robo. And then the camera flips and we're looking at the ground where Robo should be from Boxbot's point of view, which Jeff should edit out that silly question mark and put it in a good looking one. But here comes Robo, finally going to get his with the Edith Joe sign. Page 11-ish there. Robo is disappointed because he was it wasn't quite for, enough. That wasn't quite enough at all. It just took an arm off. Yeah, so things are very anticlimactic, and now Robo is stuck up on, on Boxbot's shoulder there, and there's not a whole lot he can do. And you can see I put a lot of work into figuring that out down the bottom while I was, oh, wait, I was drawing Metroid. My bad. That's close. No. These things I was, happen. I was way more interested in drawing Metroid that day. So I don't know exactly where to go with this. Like, yeah, it's like Robo kind of deflated and like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I was hoping for. He's just having a bad day. And then Jenkins shows up and it's either, I think it shouldn't be one of those like, oh, thank God the cavalry's here. I think he should be embarrassed. Like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. Friends are going to see that I wet my pants. Like, you know, like he's not, he doesn't want help at this point. But Jenkins gets out, yells something, and then Boxbots is just programmed to destroy everything. Attacks. Robo has no choice but to go along for the ride. Jenkins again says something Jenkinsy here in the last panel. Write that down, Brian. Jenkins says something. Gotcha. Jenkins. Very important note. Thank you. Very important, very important note. Boxbot literally just like falls overnight, Dug. like his feet are on a hinge and just kind of funk. And then Robo and the Eda Joe sign come crashing to the ground just uh, just short of, of Jenkins. And I wanted to have a panel here where Robo like popped up quickly, like, like, oh, I meant to do that. Totally in control here. 
um <laughs> there wasn't room but uh <laughs> i think at this point there should be like uh, robo in the the last panel with jenkins and robo there there should just be uh something about how we mentioned none of this in the report <laughs> you know like everything went according to plan completely <laughs> <It's happened. Yeah. laughs> well then there's an oddball panel i mean sure this makes perfect sense to anybody who's actually reading it but uh panel yeah. five is uh, is strange i don't know what to make of it know how to do this so this is the secret headquarters of majestic 12 oh that's a that's a cutaway that's a a cross section yeah to the right of that elevator shaft there's actually some dinosaur bones and stuff in the dirt so yes uh majestic 12 has its secret bunker headquarters beneath the denver international airport which is for some reason has lots of weird conspiracy theory stuff wrapped around it so you can look it up it's on the wikipedias at which point we meet the leader of majestic 12 or the field commander of majestic 12 who is actually the field commander from volume six and you see him in issue four and five three and four wherever the big scene with the helicopters and tanks and all that stuff happens before robo splits from jenkins and the crew this guy is is back again uh and he is debriefing with the science nerds from the simpsons who are not in fact boston dynamics employees but majestic 12 employees and dun, dun, dun. they're delivering the field report on the box bot unit who basically a very positive field report that it beat the shit out of robo and if he hadn't gotten help from the outside he would have been destroyed at which point captain commando here is just like oh now is our time to, to strike and take out tesla Dine. and wow mm. so it gets pretty heavy pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh, and then that will lead into volume Eight. So nice. lead in eight is crazy. Lead in directly to Volume Eight, then. So this is this is a prequel comic. This is a prequel comic to Volume Eight that you do not need to read before reading Volume Eight. But when you, when yeah. you collect Volume Eight, will it be before? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think we should put it at the end. Yeah, you don't need to see this. This is like a deleted scene from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Just, <laughs> it, it adds flavor, but it wasn't necessary to the primary story. Okay. So, yeah. My original thought on Free Comic Book Day was to, in fact, make it a uh, prequel, but mm-hmm. have it from Dr. Dun, like Dr. Dinosaur's lead up into it. But then that was, because that felt kind of like, oh, he's still Dr. Dinosaur. Hey, hey, hey. But eh, it's a little overdoing it. Because you're going to get five issues with the guy, so. Yeah, yeah. I think people might be a little sick of Dr. Dinosaur if we're not like, careful. Yeah, like when they read this, they're still going to say, oh, I wish it was Dr. Dinosaur. But really, right. you don't, because by the time you finish Volume 8, you're like, okay, I'm done with him for, you know, a little while. I get it. Yeah, six months I, later, you'll see we were right again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, someday we should do, not a free comic book day story, because that would uh, confuse new readers, but we should do a, a Dr. Dinosaur story from Dr. Dinosaur's point of view, and it should be drawn like a three-year-old drew it with crayons. Yeah. The entire issue. I recommend Brandon for that. There's a real innocence to his mind. <laughs> I don't believe that for a minute. <laughs> so there that was absolutely not us writing a script at all that was <laughs> i was taking notes it's okay. all action jenkins is something jenkinsy that's that's notes yeah yeah i get panels that are not much more descriptive than that that is absolutely true robo does a cool thing oh, okay but see I, but that that plays to your strengths though as you were saying you know you you can really hone in on the emotion of a scene that does that influences and colors a lot of the dialogue in really subtle ways, but it pays off in the end. It really feels more cohesive as a result. I like that this reads, and you were complaining about it when I sent them to you originally, that like it reads just fine right now. You don't need to. Yeah, like- yeah. That, that's my own. The only thing I don't like about this is that visually it communicates itself so well. Literally, I don't need to add a single word, and I would feel like an idiot doing so. Well, but on I'm, page 12 and page 1, we need some... <laughs> we need yeah, yeah, on page 1 to set it up, and then, like, once that's done, as soon as he Kool-Aid man's through, it's like it reads itself. <laughs> oh, yeah! He needs to say that. Yeah, like, <laughs> square robotic font. <laughs> yeah, real big fat dot matrix style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, all hit whatever he says has got to be in dot matrix. Uh, possibly his word balloon should be square, and there's oh, yeah. little holes down the side like the oh, dot yeah. matrix paper. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff won't mind designing that at all. He might actually like it. Yeah, he might. And if he doesn't, who cares? You're fired. Oh no, wait, we can't afford to get rid of you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're going to cut back to the present where the 2013 version of myself, Brian, and Scott will discuss the final version of this comic. Why do I only have one kidney now? Shh. <laughs> I felt like I was really inarticulate. Yeah. It was illuminating to me in that it helped me write it. Uh, there were and like there were several areas where like I had specific dialogue in mind, which I can't remember now, but I remember being too shy to actually speak out the dialogue for some reason. I just get stage fright with that stuff. Oh, sharing creative ideas. This is stupid. <laughs> would, it, would it be cool if Robo punches a guy? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> just read a book. Building the palette for this was fun because this was the first thing we did after coming off of volume seven and noticing the differences between how the print pages, I think we talked about this last time, how the print pages came out versus how they look digitally when we yeah. looked at them. And there was some, you know, there's a lot of darkness issues with the printed stuff. This, uh, as far as the coloring goes, is noticeably darker than previous volumes. And I'm not talking about volume seven here. That was the first time you had your uh, new colorist, Nick Filardi, who's unfortunately been miscredited on the, uh, the publication of Free Comic Book Day 2013 as Anthony Clark. Who's the, who is also that a nice guy? guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Trust us. <laughs> this one was a lot of fun to work out, and I think we finally figured out the last of our, our coloring bugs on this one. We, uh, we built the palette specifically for this story using uh, RKO as this old, or had this old um, backlot, where they filmed a lot of sitcoms and movies when they needed to be filming off a soundstage. And so all the street scenes in the Adam West Batman television show, for example, or anytime the classic Star Trek guys somehow ended up on old alternate alternate universe Earth. What was oh, this keep happening? Gone with the Wind was was also filmed there, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so we went through and found the color photos and started pulling colors off of that to build a palette for this. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's all primarily earth tones with little shots of color thrown in for for highlight, which really kind of I really dig that old 60s color TV look where things are when there is color, it's a little too realistic. It's almost yeah, kind of the way Technicolor looks fake. It's too much of it. Yeah, and because because they would paint these buildings to look authentic, but really what you've got is like some models miniature, you know, miniature painter weathering the signs to make them look like they've been there under. So it's, it's just really good set dressing versus reality, but it's close enough to reality that really messes with your head unless you study it. So that was a basic idea. And I can check, I'll send you some files too with the, the color test and the palette test cool. that we did that you can put on the webpage. Yeah, we'll do that. It was, it was just really neat. Um, I think for the most part, it all worked out. Like I said, I think we figured out the last of our glitches on, on this particular story. So I'm psyched to see how the first issue of Volume 8 looks really good. I would like to see it in print, though, before <laughs> before I commit to that. Uh, we like it so far. Yeah, so far, so good. Brian, adding words atop all this, is it fun? Uh, is it challenging in any way? Or does it mesh with the way your brain works anyhow? Kind of all of the above. Um, you know, it's fun in the sense that I have, even if it's something that I've already scripted, Scott's approach to it will be different enough that I'm like, I'm still guessing about how it's going to you know, come together and what needs to be written down for it to make sense. He's also a really good visual storyteller, so Thank you. it frees me up. Like Nobody has to sit there telling you what they're doing. You can already figure it out because, again, Scott knows what he's doing. 
So it frees me up to, you know, put in jokes or little asides. For instance, on page, is it two? The yeah, there's a little the bit franchise. here where uh, Robo puts down the, the suitcase and he just mutters kids. You know, I don't think that was Scott's intention. It was just this panel that had some space where I could put in this little aside, this little joke about Robo and his, his attitude about young scientists and nuclear regulatory bodies and such. I mean... <laughs> I yeah, think so. yeah, I think my only note on this page was that Robo should somehow evoke like a, a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. <laughs> Lightning gun. <laughs> Let me show you what I've got. I look at panels like, uh, and this is skipping forward a little bit, page seven, where Robo's picking himself up after being knocked around, and he's just got this long rant about how he <laughs> wishes they were origami robots. <laughs> Um, See, now my, jo- my joke for that page was that Robo should be complaining about feeling nauseous, or if he could feel nauseous, he would feel nauseous after that or something. But no, Brian never likes Robo vomit jokes, even though I, I constantly say, on this page, Robo should be nauseous. And someday <laughs> there's going to be an upset robot tummy joke, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, it totally happened in volume six. Did it? Yeah. I knew that. I read it. <laughs> Let's talk about onomatopoeia. On the last page of this comic, the box bot gets zapped, and there's a big kazark over the page and it's uh it's really dynamic looking and obviously that was not something that an onomatopoeia that you drew into the the frame it was added afterwards how do you guys mediate that as far as the lettering process i mean because that onomatopoeia takes over the art for the the whole frame there that's all jeff (laughs) yeah we had the wisdom of hooking up with the best letterer in the biz pretty much and we just let him do things and when he does things like that we don't question it (laughs) yeah once again, the illusion is shattered. <laughs> Our genius. <laughs> I'm looking at the page four. And my only other comment is in panel two, I really love Robo's funny little feet. His feet <laughs> keep getting smaller and smaller, and I love them more the more the smaller they get. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So this big fat pants, so this <laughs> I dig it. You know, uh, Tim and Eric, they wrote a song about Robo's feet. Did they? Yeah, well, they, I mean, not specifically Robo's feet, but uh, are you familiar with a track called Petite Feet? I am not, but maybe that should be our, our exit song for this. <laughs> <laughs> Close the episode out on Petite Feet. So look, forward, look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I always look forward to the music you tack onto this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's shift gears now to um, the comicsology piece that came out before but was made afterwards. And what's really cool about it is that um, it's you guys' first digital exclusive piece. So it is composed in a totally different way. It's got many of the modern tropes of digital comics, you know, so, sort of a pseudo animation overlay panel shift things appear, things disappear, progression. 
And it's really neat to see Robo in that style for the first time. Uh, once we figured out what we were doing, I really enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, let me pull up Comixology here so I can see it the way it's meant to be seen. Before we get things started, the story is called Along Came a Tarantula, but it's got a subheading of two-fisted tales, much like real science adventures and all that. Is this an ongoing thing or a theoretically ongoing thing? That was the basic idea that we make it its own thing because Comixology had indicated they would possibly be interested in doing more of these in the future. Very cool. Yeah. We're down for it. When you guys were approached by Comixology to do this, what were the criteria? Was there like a, a page count or anything that they asked of you or just give us an exclusive story? We don't care how long it is, whatever. Originally, they wanted the equivalent of a full-length comic, which we actually didn't think we had time for. And so we said, well, let's do a half a comic and then come back to it in a couple of months and do another half a comic because we wanted to get going on volume eight. We knew we had free comic day coming up. And as we got rolling, ended up just throwing that out the window because you are pretty, you're limited in what you could do in 12 pages or 11 pages. So we ended up kind of accidentally turning it into a full length comic. We think. Uh, we it, think. Yeah. It's, well, it's hard to equate in the current format whether or not it does in fact add up to a full page comic. The number of unique panels that are in this thing are, is roughly equal to the average number of panels in one of our full issues. We now, some of the, maybe those <laughs> panels are smaller, bigger, whatever. I don't know. I'm comfortable calling it basically a full-length comic. Yeah, I felt like it, it, it took about the same amount of time to do, the initial, yeah. to do the initial work. Uh, there was a lot more work on the back end. Oh, Lord. Uh, working, <laughs> working with Comixology. Our regular colorist, Nick Flaherty, was bogged down with work, and so we needed to find yet another colorist to help us out. And so we were lucky enough to get Anthony Clark to color this one and he was a delightful to work with and i think did a really great job but there was a lot of back and forth once he started coloring between what he had to do and how it had to integrate into the comicsology thing because some of the panels it's not one panel is replaced with another but something subtle changes within a panel that we had to kind of fiddle with mm -hmm. and there was a lot of reformatting because i thought on my end it was my responsibility to chop everything up and then send it into Comixology to give them an idea of how I thought it should read. Because normally they take our print comics and then they do all the cutting. And I thought, oh, wow, we finally get to actually kind of control that flow, uh, which we did. But their software is set up much better to just import the, the complete artwork and cut, and cut it up. And you get a much cleaner mesh. So I spent a day at Comixology and we got through most of it. To, to give you an idea, I was there for the whole day and we made it through only about two thirds of the story. Wow. Doing the, doing the editing. And then John Roberts, one of the co-founders of uh, Comixology, ended up doing the rest on his own. But again, we, we went into this one just like Free Comic Book Day, where we had only the absolutely vaguest idea of where to go with things. The idea for Tarantula, geez, Brian, you've had that for since like pretty much day one. Yeah, what? weirdly. <laughs> that uh, is weird. Well, not not so much in her current form, no. exactly. It was another character. The Arrow guy? The, the, yeah, the idea that Robo... Just I told you Rob Liefeld already has Bloodshot, and you can't use that. <laughs> shot Blood, it's totally different. <laughs> B-L-U-D-D. -D. <laughs> yeah, Shot Blood. <laughs> He's Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea was that there would be this person that Robo had slided through the day-to-day, -day, whatever project didn't get funded, it was it just happened to be this guy's and it was like incredibly soul crushing thing like it was the one project this guy like all of his money was tied up in it and his whole family was gonna lose their homes because of it all this other stuff and then his whole life just cascades apart because robo just happened to pass in this one project it was just kind of that but it's on this girl instead the well, basic idea i don't know that he really canceled her project we, we get some 
mention of a psych evaluation, which he quite clearly did not pass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we actually changed that a little. Or we did both. We cut her funding and declared her crazy. <laughs> I don't know which was first. The long term idea was that you would eventually have this kind of group of supervillains, for lack of a better term, all rough parodies of technology based superheroes from comics. So this was the first of those. I don't know. Eventually, maybe we'll get to the others and someday do something with it. I think it was when we were looking for an actual, like a hook to the story that is where I got hung up on this one. Uh, I was talking with my friend, uh, Lindsay Smallbutero, who's an animator and kind of a psychotic Atomic Robo fan. She's got a thing for robots <laughs> and she's really into Robo. And anytime I draw him getting beat up or mangled or shredded, she gets very angry about it. <laughs> so, she's very protective of Robo. She's very protective of Robo, yes. Uh, and is, she, so she's I, behind uh, Batman Piderman, right? Correct, yeah. Her and her husband, Alex. So she was kind of doing this thing where I was explaining what was going to happen. And she's like, what are you doing to my robot boyfriend? And then that just sort of spiraled. It was like, oh, I get it. So now this is not just a supervillain. This is a crazy ex-girlfriend. And uh, Lindsay helped me kind of figure out how to do that in a way that was, we hope, entertaining without being uh, offensive or uh, super sexist or whatever. Yeah. So like, if anyone who might be out there, you know keyed up to be offended by anything this you know the, the seed and a lot of the details of this character came from a very talented female creator so nah. <laughs> <laughs> who has been who has been quoted saying most of these lines anyway so yes and then at the end of the story we ended up naming the character after her i think that towards the end we decided to, to do that one of the things about the story that you notice right away is the architecture you got this domino sugar factory and i assume that this must be a real place this um, is a real place. It's in uh, it's in Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn. I saw it for the first time ever on Sunday uh, from the Manhattan side of the East River. I must have cycled past it on the Manhattan side before, but never really noticed it. But we just came out underneath the Williamsburg Bridge, which I was very careful not to have to draw more than once or twice in this comic. It's <laughs> <laughs> just this big old crazy looking piece of like Victorian style architecture with billions of bolts and lots of pieces of metal everywhere. And then there it was. I just saw the big red yellow tower and I was like, oh my God, there it is. <laughs> There's a uh... One panel in particular, the one where um, I guess it's the, the second background of the story where you see Tarantula perched atop a uh, smokestack, and it's a really sharply rendered perspective to a degree that I was wondering if it was maybe a direct photo source because it's just it's so much crisper than I'm used to seeing, or maybe it's simply because you guys have had to shift around the size of the pieces you're working with. You know what? This was this page. These first pages were actually drawn 100% digitally because I thought with all the cutting and chopping that I would have to do that that would be the way to go. What I ended up finding out is that neither Photoshop, Manga Studio, or Sketchpad Pro is any good at actually mimicking a pencil or a pen on paper. And the artists who are very talented with these programs employ completely different pen strokes and techniques to mimic these physical tools. And I did not have time to learn that. So the first couple of panels, right up until there's a close-up of Tarantula, where it starts zoomed in on her, she's monologuing and then zooms out on her. All of that was done 100% digitally, and I was yeah, things were kind of stiff, and I was not getting the performance out of the tools that I thought I would get because I, I sketch in Photoshop all the time, and that's kind of fine. But when you're trying to get nice clean lines, like we try to have for Robo, it just wasn't working out. It, the pen picks up all your your hand wobble, and so you, what you have to end up doing to get a clear, solid line is doing like hundreds of little tiny tick marks and making very, very small gestures, and that was taking forever. So the last panel I tried to draw digitally is where she 
launches herself off the smokestack and says, you know, scatter you worms, else be caught in the sinister web of tarantula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you do. As you do. I had this sketched out roughly and it looked fine. Uh, in fact, the, the sketching these pages out in, in, I think I was working mostly in Photoshop, was, was fine. And then when I went in to try and put any sort of detail in, I worked on it. And, and it's not a highly detailed panel because it's not a very big one. So her face is very simplistic and trying to get the curve of her skull and her her mouth was taking... I worked on this for hours and it was looking like I couldn't stand it. It was garbage. Then I, so then I spooled up Manga Studios and imported the file, the sketch file into that and started working on it. And that was just as bad. It's got some really wonderful layout tools, but it's also got a lot of like really bad habit forming training wheels on it where like it will fix your lines for you after you draw them. So I just said, the heck with it. Sketchpad Pro was somewhat better, but still not quite where I wanted to be. And I was hunting around, emailing and IMing and tweeting at people I knew who worked digitally looking for help. And one of them finally wrote back to me and was just like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, the world was out of paper and pencils. Why would you want to transition like this? You know, you're good at what you do with what you do. It's cool to expand your horizons, but this is probably not the time or place to do that. It was weird. I felt kind of like I had to do it digitally because it was a digital comic. And this, this other artist just sort of quietly took me to task and kind of said, you know, you're, you're panicking over nothing. Why don't you just do things the way you always do them? So that panel where she leaps off the, the smokestack, I ended up doing just the way I always do with a pencil on paper. And it took, you know, a fraction of the time that mucking around with it in each of the different digital programs had. And it's got so much more life and energy to it than the previous panels. Uh, and I just resigned myself to doing a lot of Photoshop editing after the fact, since I would have to draw everything out on paper and then composited things into the pages to make them work. It was really weird seeing the uh, the actual physical drawn pages. Oh, they're a mess. The notebook of a crazy person who can actually draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like exactly. The guy from like, Seven was an artist. <laughs> a lot of the robo artwork I will try and sell. And I don't think I could really sell any of that stuff. I mean, who knows? Someone might like it for the novelty of how weird it is, but it is not coherent storytelling at all. Like you said, it's like a crazy mad scientist notebook full of drawings. And then after I'd scanned them in, I had to like figure out what order I had intended all these pictures I was drawing to go in. There's like 120 different panels, all kinds of weird sizes. And that doesn't count like where things transition subtly in the panel. There'd be a main panel and then there'd be all these satellite drawings around the panel of things that had to get dropped into it. Right. Like um, one of my favorite parts of this is after the scatter ye worms bit, you get this storyboarded animation of her leaping down to the ground then eventually to the full choom onomatopoeia landing page transition thing that was really cool because this is a freaky weird machine she's riding around in and <laughs> and and it was a it was a smart move to make this the digital one because you got to actually show it move to an effect yeah and that was really fun to see work out because in my head i sort of saw it that way but i had no way of knowing if it would work until they actually put it into the software and played it through and what do you know it worked i was very excited with that there's a lot of like little kind of storyboard motion animation moments like that that I really enjoyed in this. I was really happy with the way this this worked out. Her crazy tarantula rig is yet another example of how you draw something once and you're like, this is really cool. I'm going to use it in a story and <laughs> just like the box bot and f- figure out that it really, it only works well from a couple of very specific angles. <laughs> so when tarantula returns, her the, the tarantula suit Mark II will probably look a bit different. <laughs> but I just, I really like the idea of the uh, the kind of 
Kevlar spacesuit thing. And it's like it's like not like you're wearing a suit. It's more like you're you're sitting inside of this crazy legged rig thing. It's partially designed on this sculpture I saw once by a, a Scandinavian artist who makes uh, he calls it living sculpture, and he creates these creatures out of cardboard and plastic and light metal that are wind powered. And so he'll put them on the beaches and the wind will animate them. And it's not just that they move around, it's that they will literally wander up and down the beach and he'll create like, you know, these like herds of grazing animals that are, you know, air quotes on animals that wander around and their head goes down. It looks like they're foraging for in the grass. And it's like he makes these, these really interesting quasi living sculptures. And I was kind of basing her suit on that and that it sort of had a life of its own. That was something we didn't really get to do in the story, but in the back of my head, I thought it would be really complex to move all this stuff herself so that the suit kind of had to have a very limited AI of its own to anticipate her moves and wishes. And so it's almost like a, a partnership. That's a really neat dynamic. And it, I mean, to a certain degree, it shows up on the page just because of how you're able to show this rig in motion. But I mean, obviously, to that extent, you need some kind of intense internal monologue to convey that. <laughs> yes, which we're not really strong on in Atomic Robo. So <laughs> whatever, there you go. <laughs> That's cool. There's a lot of stuff like that in Robo where there's the head, there's the head cannon that we need to make things work internally for us that never really makes it into the story because it's not important to the story. It's a very common trap to uh, include those elements. You know, the stuff that you as the creators need to know so that everything is coherent or just for your own psychosis and then you feel this responsibility to make sure that the reader knows that too the reader doesn't need to know any of this stuff no and either that or you're just like you know you want to show everyone how clever you are yeah oh look at me uh, we're not I, clever I at all book. so yeah yeah we all have wikipedia it wasn't that clever <laughs> <laughs> the sequence where she opens up that gun and then you get that uh that just big blast panel that was another really good one i mean the whole thing uh i'm just flipping through it for the first time since i picked it up when it came out again and it's let me just say i'm really enthusiastic about seeing the atomic robo animated short because this is putting me <laughs> in the mood for some uh, robo in motion just it's just showing what's possible in the, right the coolest way <laughs> i love that and uh, so when she does start shooting at him there's another little animated quasi animated bit there where robo is running along Mm -hmm. uh, the side of one of the buildings. And I love that the first panel, he's got that silly, like, Jerry Lewis and you hey thing, which is something Brian says all the time, but I've never in my Jesus. head ever considered Robo actually saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if that works, <laughs> but there it is. So it's canon. It's right there with applesauce now. That was a fun one to draw because I was I, in my head when I when I plotted this out digitally, this was going to be easy, right? Just layers of artwork, no problem. But instead, what I had to do was draw the complete background and then draw the little blast marks elsewhere on the page and then draw the laser blast elsewhere on the page. And then there was a sequence of three robos on the page. And yeah, there's a lot of weird cutting, pasting and shifting around. Well, just the little stuff like where he falls in right after that, where he falls into the East River. Like it's just a neat little touch. He must have done this before because his recovery is really quick, you know, popping out with that pizza on his head. <laughs> well, what you didn't see was the turtles that helped him out while he was down there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of debated that one. I was like, well, if we do the pizza, this somehow acknowledges that awful cartoon from the 90s, which I hated. But I was a huge fan of the original black and white comic books. <laughs> the pizza thing is very iconic of the 90s cartoon. However, they eat lots of pizza in the new cartoon as well, which True. I think is a very well done show. So. Well, how about, I love, but let's, uh, let's meet in the middle. Let's say the uh, 1990 film. 
where they ate pizzas and yet it was true to the Mirage comics. All right, I'll give you that. Yeah, the first live action turtle film was good from what I remember, which is not much to be perfectly honest with you, but <laughs> you should see you should it be again. watching that all the time. You'll you'll be surprised at how good it is. <laughs> I might not want to ruin that memory for myself. <laughs> I mean, I went back and watched the Robotech cartoon and I really shouldn't have. I should have just kept it as the most amazing thing ever in my mind. Those jets are robots. <laughs> I, the, the concept, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. But the cartoon. <laughs> and, and there are some animated bits that are amazing, but the, the melodrama and the, the bad, I don't want to say bad voice acting, but like it was, it all seemed very hasty in its translation to English. Anyway, back to us. You must have gotten real comfortable with Tarantula because not too long after that, she catches the manhole cover that uh, Robo throws at her and she drops it and all that. And then she's just prancing up and you managed to figure out a way to make that ridiculous creepy spider rig she's just pr- she's looking kind of sexy there <laughs> and that bugs me <laughs> i i wanted her to have a, a little a little sex appeal like very little but done in a way that i felt was you know not gratuitous true, true to our mission statement like yeah. you know i i kind of worry that like you know we don't want to worry so much about that stuff that we end up uh, limiting the sorts of characters we might have and portray for fear of. Yeah, I, I think the problem is uh, with, with most mainstream comics, and I'm talking about any lady character, she uses her sexuality as a weapon. Yeah. Right, that, you know, that's fine. Not- but when it's 90% of them, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. can have Tarantula do this one little thing because she's got a bit of a, a weird feelings for Robo. <laughs> so, you know, it's fine for her, especially having come off of, let's say, She-Devils, where we had an entire cast of lady characters and there was not a single, even remotely, slightly sexed up panel, you know, in 110 pages there. Never mind all of our other volumes previous to that, which also... You know, stick to that. Right, right. Like the only quasi femme fatale I could think of is maybe what's her name, Valkyrie, the the German scientist lady from Volume Two. She doesn't even do anything. No, she doesn't. No, Uh, I just remember kind of modeling her somewhat after Ilsa from. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who who could blame you though? Sure, sure. It was also fun with the body language of Tarantula there to kind of jump back and forth, like to occasionally throw in the little hip swing where depending on, you know, what crazy voice was talking at the moment, kind of change up her body language that way. I think what you did was you invented a character that personality wise opens her up to people wanting to cosplay her and gave her the absolute most impossible (laughs) outfit. We have yes. done that very consistently. <laughs> yeah, we're good at that. We're good at there's that. There's Robo himself. There's Dr. Dinosaur. There's Tyrantula. These are impossible costumes. She-devils. They'll be on, maybe we'll get a couple she-devils. That <laughs> she-devils cool. are possible. Yeah, yeah. And that's about it. I also just really enjoy the asymmetry of Tyrantula, where she's all, all the bulk of her suit is uh, it's all the hips downward and just kind of creates a, a body type that is kind of the exact opposite of what's always thrown at you in mainstream comics, where it's always very top-heavy. Uh, and that fact that, you know, she's got a suit that covers her from everything except for her face, basically. But not in a super sexy. Yeah, you can see everything. Where you can see her abs and belly button and yeah, below. exactly. I remember these uh, these uh, these weird arm sheaths on the, on her suit were were interesting to figure out. I was looking at a lot of the um, the big dog robot. And the reason I was looking at that is because of the free comic book day story. They put these really cool kind of protective sheaths over most of the arms, which I thought was really unique looking because most robot suits and whatnot, there's no fabric involved in it. It's all just hard metal bits. So I think it was fun to kind of do that with Tarantula. The page where she punches him right after that, after she's kind of like cradling his head, I really dig that page. <laughs> uh, right after he calls her Cynthia by accident. No, not Cynthia. 
<laughs> I love, I absolutely love the panel where her fist is just flying across, or her robot fist is flying across the panel. Uh, just the way Anthony colored the background bits on that. Yeah, it looks uh, good. It's got it, that whole Pokemon energy blast looking thing. Yeah, well, I think something I was working out with Nick was that part of where things were getting muddy in the printing is that all these really cool, misty, spattery, smoky uh, paint effects that he was putting in on things were just translating to noise on the print page. It looked awesome in digital. So with Anthony, uh, I just said, you know, make everything extremely graphic and simple. And if you're going to shade something, make it hard shading. So like all the shadows are very hard and very crisp and there's no color transition. There's very few gradients. It's all like on Robo's head on that page where she's got him by the neck. There's a little bit of a shine on his head, but there's no, there's nothing subtle about it. There's just, you know, one color transitions into another hard color, into another hard color. And it, I think it works really well. And then when she does punch him, the Zock uh, panel, I had to scour the internet for all the Batman, Adam West sound of visual, visual sound effects ever. And I, th I thought this was the best. So, so I pulled this off of uh, out of Batman. Does it look great? <laughs> but then Anthony added a little, uh, it's the, the two-tone pink and red there, that background element, which sort of bleeds through into the yellow. That was not part of the what I drew. So he built off of my artwork with that. And I thought that was really really cool touch on his part i remember this page being this this sequence being really difficult to work out because the dialogue jumps up and down from the, the top panel to the bottom panel the top panel the bottom panel you're talking about the battle inside the factory yeah just as tarantula comes through the window and she's sort of looking down on robo the first little panel to pop up is on the bottom with him laying in a pile of rubble and she's talking from off panel and then a panel appears above that and she speaks, and you can't do that in print comics because you, you wouldn't know how to read it. And then it goes back again, back and forth a couple of times there. And I thought little stuff like that, you know, it's maybe not as visually nifty as the quasi-animation stuff, but I thought it was really neat how you can control the flow of a conversation digitally in ways that you cannot do it in print. I like this panel. I had a lot of fun on this one. If I can say, between the mm. two of these um, similar projects, the Free Comic Book Day thing and, the, and uh, Two-Fisted Tales, I think Two-Fisted Tales is the stronger of the two. Maybe it's because it's showing me Robo in a way I've never seen before. Maybe it's because of how funny it is. Whereas uh, Free Comic Book Day, visually, it's wonderful. But in a lot of ways, it's just dark. Because you're just watching Robo lose so hardcore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at least with Tarantula, it's fun to watch her beat him up. Right, because they're exchanging dialogue. Yeah. There's also, there was a lot more freedom on my end with uh, Tarantula, simply because, you know, with, with a standard combo page, that's the page. And we can wiggle a little bit. You know, we, we've swapped panels around every, a couple times in our tenure. But pretty much the page is the page. And that's what I got to work with, with dialogue. And, uh, you know, I'll think of a... Really good exchange, but it's just not going to fit you know, the flow because you can't do anything about that. But with uh, Tyrantula, since every single panel is its own little piece, you know, it was really easy to flub stuff around and switch it up and repeat panels that Scott clearly didn't mean to be repeated. But, you know, it gives us that extra beat for another line of dialogue to set up a joke later. Yeah. So um, it was uh, very challenging and interesting, but very rewarding and fun on my end to do Tyrantula. It was also, I had a really good time with Free Comic Book Day too, but it was, there was that extra element on Tyrantula where it was sort of remixing uh, what Scott had already done. It was a bit of a reversal of what we usually do where I draw a script and then he takes his own version of it, you know, and, and makes the page. Yeah. And I mean, I really like how it works for a perfect example of it uh, to a certain degree. Earlier, when Robo gets punched to the wall and the dialogue's jumping from the upper panel to the lower panel and back again 
that's a perfect example of it. But I'm also after he runs away from her deeper into the factory and then she sort of disappears and he's trying to find her and she's, you know, she's up on the ceiling above him. There's this bit where he you know, says, where, where could she have gotten off to? And then the next click, he's like, I said, I bet it was Becky. And you can create these really great narrative pacing moments with the, the, by dropping in the different dialogue. Instead of having it all crammed into that one space, you can remove a bubble, put a new bubble in, and it creates a real sense of time in the single panel that I think we can't really reproduce on a, yeah. on a physical page. That whole sequence there is a lot of fun, especially where Robo gets his face smashed into the the boiler he's hiding behind but we we love doing that yeah i do (laughs) i do well robo is you know he is indiana jones he is uh, jack carter from eureka he's he is the everyman who just gets the snot beat out of him constantly and it's like a lot of visual humor with that it's very slapsticky and basic and it's just funny to watch it's 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 a blast to draw because i mean it's either you know a lot of it's just people standing around or they're they're running around being dynamic and doing stuff but the most fun stuff to draw is is that kind of real physical humor so that wraps that up for uh, free comic book day 2013 and also along came a tarantula but um we got some questions that uh, we need to answer from uh, from you wonderful listeners of atomic robo nuts and bolts we've got a forum page on the nerdy show forums where you can type in questions and we will answer them right here on this show and you can also tweet at us uh hashtag ask robo and we'll also answer those too but these both come from the nerdy show forums first up from uh mr j mr asks are there any plans to write a story taking place in the distant or fantastical future? No. Nope. I guess we could elaborate on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll write about, say, 2016 when it is 2016, but, you know, we, we don't plan on doing the year 40,000. You know, the problems you get with that in near future stuff is that you're always wrong. Go look at any issue of popular mechanics from the 80s or the, oh God, the 40s and the 20s. I mean, you know, where's my helicopter backpack? I haven't seen any of that stuff yet. As a mental exercise, it's a lot of fun. I think it was uh, Zach Finfrock did a, a picture once, and it's Robo as a bartender at some like space colony in the future, and everyone else is also robots and aliens and whatnot. And you know, he's just crusty old Robo still. Um, That's rough. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't think we'll ever really. That said, you guys do plot far ahead in the future, and though current events may take hold of uh, what direction the stories go, and you do actually have future robo plans lined oh, up yeah. for volumes and volumes and volumes so oh, yes, yes some of which i assume in a way they're not fantastical they, future yeah, but i they, mean right now we have stories that will have to take place in 2015 or 2017 or whatever that will be the next that'll be the year that it is when it comes out right right but um assuming that there isn't an actual ai that's built that that's the one thing that we're all that here at team robo <laughs> we are actually terrified of more so than most people because <laughs> as soon as they as soon as we get real ai the big hook of Atomic Robo is like, well, that's just old news. And the comic's dead. Oh, I'm assuming there's no that. singularity or nuclear war that destroys all of civilization or that, you know, there's a meteor doesn't hit. Most of our stories can be, our, our quote, modern day stories can be kind of plugged into the near future with, you know, minor changes that we would make as we write them anyway, because it'll be the future when we're writing them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So look forward to future editions of Atomic Robo scribbled in whatever fluids Brian can find on a wall <laughs> after you know, a massive solar flare has disabled all of electronics. My hope is that the Atomic Robo comics will be one of the few things left so that future generations will assume it's a history document and that the reason that civilization collapsed is that Robo wasn't able to save them. <laughs> so they'll build like altars to them, you know, giant Robo heads like in Minecraft. <laughs> that was cool. Although with our luck, it'll be a big Dr. Dinosaur. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's the best. 
<laughs> he's my favorite character. <laughs> he's my favorite god from the old world. <laughs> we got another fella. His name's Anonymous. He's got a robo avatar, so huh. we know what he's here for. He says, excellent podcast. Thank you, Anonymous. And he has submitted three questions by volume. Breaking the rules. <laughs> yeah. We can touch on these, and I kind of know where they're going to go, so I think we can we can handle all of them. Uh, volume three. At the beginning of issue four, there's a woman with Atomic Robo in his office. She seems more than a secretary or just an action scientist. What is her story? Is that Dolores? Uh, I don't know. It's just somebody that you drew who looks exactly like Dorinda. Oh, that's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> She's, I don't know, just my wife. I don't even recall if the script called for someone no. in the office. It was simply Robo on the phone with Carl Sagan. Yeah. And man, you know, stuff like that when it's a static is really uninteresting to look at. So I thought there would be fun. It'd be fun to just kind of have some weird stuff happening in the office. But since Robo's on the phone, he can't react and deal with it. So... I had her dropping off some stuff. And yeah, she's just a random Tesla employee from the, what, the 70s. That's it. Volume 5. The relationship with Helen McAllister was very interesting, but didn't seem to continue or end. What became of that? Oh, oh volume 11, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love when things are answered like that. <laughs> yeah, Brian and I ended up plotting out what in my head is going to be the greatest robo volume today it doesn't matter you're still going to complain about every single page that's that's part of the process brian <laughs> part of the genius is the suffering okay and it's not fair if i suffer alone with the art i have to share the suffering with you okay the end product works out so i'll, I'll mm -hmm. take it and finally volume six not really a question per se i'm fortunate enough to own the original copy of volume six issue five on page 20 I think this single page represents Robo as a whole more than any other page. Thoughts from the creators? And yeah, that's a specific page, and I have no clue what page I've... So well, lucky wait, 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 wait. for you guys. I, I, I can think of this. Yeah, wait. A description might have been real good. So he said volume six, issue five? Page yeah. 20, yep. So that's where Robo shoots Alan, I think. I believe so, but I want to double check. 22, 21, 20. Yeah, it's, it's where uh, we see Alan's core and he's going through his multiple phases for what he plans to do and Robo just straight up shoots him. Yeah, that was a pretty intense page to draw from what I remember. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was intense to write. That was probably us at our darkest so far. Yeah, absolutely. A, Robo's sacrifice throughout that whole sequence where he's battling, you know, the parts of Alan, you know, letting himself just get destroyed just to wait for that uh, bomb to go off. And then this sort of flashback of Robo just wordlessly just slaughtering the only other automatic intelligence he's ever met. I mean, that is... Yeah. I personally kind of live for those moments in Robo because, you know, it, it's it's mostly just really kind of lighthearted fun and then you get to throw stuff in like this where it's just... Yeah. The, the whole uh, Volume 6 for me was working toward this one page. I, yeah, and I remember yeah, drawing this page, I was actually like, I'm still looking at it and I still like it. <laughs> that almost never happens. Yeah. Everything about that was just a lot of fun. I mean, it was like the total Akira moment with all the crazy pipes and the smoke and stuff and I don't remember if this was really plotted out in the script so i just had i had a lot of freedom with a lot of the little panels where you know with the close-up on robo with the gun in his hand and then alan's little circuit his original old circuit board and the, the shells falling at robo's feet the, the only specific thing that i had was the initial bullet count because i i kept track of bullet of robo's bullets throughout the entire volume like we do like you do I can't stand it when they get reloading wrong in movies and tv i know it's such a tiny little stupid thing that's easy to overlook in a huge <laughs> 
you know, production like that. But at the same time, it's just a number. Yeah. Um, you, can go, you can go through all the Robo stuff and constantly see him reload oh yeah, it. It always happens. <laughs> but I, but I, I had specifically requested that he reload and unload the entire new magazine or, you know, quick load thing. Yeah. Just to really emphasize this thing has to die with this amazing super gun that can shoot down a helicopter and Robo yes. blows 10 rounds into it, you know? Yeah, that's a super cool page. <laughs> what was the question? He wanted thoughts from the creators and boy, he got them. But, there um, were some, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what he says is, I think this single page represents Robo as a whole more than any other page. How, how do you guys feel about that statement? You know, Robo just, he does what needs to be done. He has zero patience for genius that's been wasted, like, like he says earlier in this issue. You know, you could have helped them. You know, what you spent 50 years taking away from humanity and prolonging the Cold War. And, you know, that, that has poisoned so much of an international political discourse. And, you know, you could have elevated everybody. And this is what you did with it. I would say if it, if it sums up Robo, it kind of sums up the, the kind of the secret side of Robo, the dark, yeah. but it doesn't really... Not him as a person, but sort of him, his function, like what he has to do to... Yeah, yeah. It's like for most of the time, he's just like this happy-go-lucky, cranky old dude. And yeah, but he's always, he's always having to be called in to, to do stuff like this. Yeah. To make calls like this. Like, you know, how do you deal with the situation? Alan's threat to humanity has been solved, right? You know, he's, he's not going to launch the uh, Orion craft. But now what do we do? You know, right. do you, you try to salvage it? Who's making that call? What's going to happen? You know, what happens if Majestic 12 or Helsingard or just, you know, any military gets a hold of whatever makes Alan run? You know, what's next? I love his new pistol, the little rhino pistol. There's <laughs> another another example, just like Tarantula in the box spot, though, where like I saw it from a couple angles, I was like, "This is really cool." And then trying to put it in Robo's hands, doing stuff like it's got so oh, many weird oh. little angles on it that uh, it's uh, a lot more difficult to draw than I first thought it would be. So that wraps up our questions, and it also wraps up the episode. But there's lots more to brief you guys on before we let you go. In the back of Free Comic Book Day. 2013, you're going to see an ad for Atomic Robo Last Stop, the Atomic Robo animated short that we mentioned earlier in this episode. It's coming soon. It's coming out in June, and uh, it's made by the Victory. They also put together a Atomic Robo video game, which I mentioned in an insert in the previous episode of Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, but uh, Atomic Robo Violent Science is available for you to play on your phone or iPad. All that jazz. Yeah. It's also on Windows 8 now. Oh, that's cool. We're just waiting on the Androids ironic if you're listening to this episode on free comic book day you got to move now because and also you know get to your store and pick up this issue if you don't have it yet because there's a there's a code in the back that gets you brand new content for atomic robo violent science only today may 4th 2013 i don't know what it is do you guys know what it is it's a level based on the comic yes that's cool and it's only available today if you're hearing this and this day has passed i don't know if you messed up yeah you screwed up dude (laughs) your life is no longer worth much it was free once maybe they'll charge for it later or maybe you'll never see it again follow a link on this episode's page and take you to where you can pick up atomic robo violent science in june there's a lot of things happening in june one of which is heroes con it's in charlotte north carolina and all three of us are going to be there Myself, Brian, and Scott, we're all gonna be there. So, that should be incentive enough. But as though you needed more, I don't have this 100% yet, but there's a very good chance that there will be a Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts panel, which will be a live episode recording of some sort. So if you want to ask Brian and Scott questions live, and uh, hear us pick apart some robo thing in person, look no further. Get plane tickets, or train tickets, or a car, and get to Charlotte, North Carolina, 
or else. And as you might know, there's an Atomic Robo role-playing game being developed, and it's probably going to come out later this year, if everything goes well. And it's based on a system that allows for use of a very special kind of dice. Uh, And I don't really know much about this, so what's the deal with these dice, guys? Okay, they're like a six-sided dice, like you have in your Monopoly set, that was issued to you when you were born. Right, at birth. Except, right, except instead of the dots or numbers or what have you, there are, what is it, two pluses, two minuses, and two blank sides. And so that's how, you know, you add up pluses and minuses take it away, and the blanks count as zeros. You can play this game with normal six-sided dice. You don't need these dice, but it's neat. To have them. It's called the Fate System, right? Fate System. Uh, they're called Fudge Dice or Fate Dice. Why are they called Fudge Dice? Because they're based on the original Fudge System, which used these kinds of dice. Well, so these Fate Dice, right? They have a Kickstarter going on right now. Official Fate Kickstarter to fund Fate Dice visually themed as far as, you know, uh, color patterns and materials around the different sets. Right now, If you want to, you can pre-order, and I think this is exclusive to the Kickstarter. I might be wrong about that, but you can pre-order Atomic Robo Fate Dice. Hey, it's exclusive to the Kickstarter for now. You can say that. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's not a lie. Comes in three different color patterns. You got a silvery gray, the color of Robo. You got a shiny blue, the color of Robo's eyes. And you got a translucent green, the color of science. (laughs) Or crystals, yeah. Or crystals, if you're a Dr. Dinosaur fan, and who isn't? Aside from these guys. <laughs> um, he's okay. Even my own wife has betrayed me on that one. <laughs> so if you want to score some Atomic Robo Fate dice, the buy-in cost for the basic set is just 20 bucks, And I think they're going to be available in September once you get them on the Kickstarter. Anyway, you've got till May 21st. That's a Tuesday. Tuesday, May 21st, 2013 to get them because uh, as of this recording, it's already funded. They're going to happen. If you want them, get yours. just get it. So thanks so much for listening to Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts. Look forward to Volume 8 coming out next month and a Nuts and Bolts to go along with it. If you have any questions, just uh, hit us up on uh, the Nerdy Show forums or Twitter, uh, hashtag AskRobo. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Brian. I'm Scott. Here's Petite Feet by Tim and Eric. Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts is brought to you by Nerdy Show. If you somehow enjoyed what you've heard, you can show your support by telling a friend or going to nerdyshow.com and clicking the support button. Even a small contribution gets you cool nerdy perks, possibly crystals, 
and allows you to take part in our monthly support drive contests. For more episodes of Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, videos, contests, and other nerdy programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Subscribe to all the Nerdy Show Network's latest episodes via the iTunes Store, and remember to follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter at Nerdy Show and Dr. Dinosaur. For all Atomic Robo news, go to atomic-robo.com, a highly inefficient URL. I'm in a stretch right now where I've been drawing Hollow Earth for a couple of weeks, and it's uh, it's all. He's on Suicide Watch. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.